0: My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the co founder and president of The Business of Cannabis. This is BFC Live for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. It is not enough anymore to not be a racist. We need everyone in the cannabis community and the industry to be an anti racist. One of the things I'm doing to learn how to be an anti racist is reading How to Be an Anti Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Find your own way to be anti racist. Black Lives Matter. BFC Live is a video and podcast production of The Business of Cannabis. Since 2017, through our web, social, video, and podcast channels, as well as real-world and virtual events, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the global cannabis industry. We encourage you to explore all that we do at businessofcannabis.ca. As a reminder, all BFC Lives are available via podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe and rate this podcast as well. That would be incredibly helpful. Today is Tuesday. That's our Benchmarks Newsletter Day from our friends at Cannabis Benchmarks. They dive deep into the online purchasing through the Ontario Cannabis Store through the data that OCS released last week. They continue that through the COVID-19 pandemic and talk about what they expect to see from online sales moving forward. Check that out on our website. And you, uh, if you've subscribed to our newsletter, you are going to get that in your email as well. Coming up, a conversation about cannabis retail and real estate, and what you should be thinking about if you are a retailer or a would-be retailer regarding your lease, flexibility, and all things cannabis, retail, real estate. That uh, will be joined by Krista Raymer from Vitrina Group, a retail consultancy, and Patrick Gordon, who is an attorney at Blake's. Here's what else we're up to at B of C this week. Uh, yesterday, Lucas McCann from CanDelta, our official regulatory advisory um, uh, partners of Business of Cannabis, Ask the Experts. That segment ran yesterday talking about cannabis retail density across provinces, an important and interesting conversation With Lucas. Last night, we had a Cannabis Forward event uh, courtesy of our friends in Alberta uh, with sponsorship from Robic. It talked about supply chain, productivity, and revenue. We'll be posting that video of that event along today. Tomorrow, as always, we'll be joined by Liz Tahera of BDSA Insights. Uh, That's our regular Wednesday guest talking about their consumer insights that BDSA generates an important and insightful conversation all the time. Check out last Wednesday's as well. Thursday we'll be joined by Allison McMahon from our from Cannabis at Work, the official human capital partner of Business of Cannabis. And then Friday we'll be with Dinalio or Dinaleo. We're gonna get the correct pronunciation. They just received their license from Health Canada. They aim to be a contract gummy manufacturer, uh, which is, continues to be uh, an increasing size of the market here and actually throughout North America. Also, on Friday, we have a Lunch and Learn series presented by our friends at Shopify with Robbie Madan. He is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Alcana. Alcana is Nova Cannabis on their cannabis arm, and a great conversation about e com uh, As well, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as our website, businessofcannabis.ca. Thank you to our partners, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, CanDelta, and BDSA for their ongoing support. As always, we are protected by our partners at ALSET. This conversation with Krista Raymer of Retrina Group and Patrick Gordon of Blake's is an important one about cannabis, retail, real estate. Enjoy and have a good Tuesday. Krista Raymer of Vitrina Group, thanks for being here.
1: Okay, thanks for having us.
0: Uh, In a moment, we're going to be joined by Patrick Gordon of Blake's. That is a law firm in Toronto. They've done work with cannabis retailers. Specific to Patrick's experience, he works with them on their space, on the real estate side. Uh, So working with cannabis retailers on the real estate side. We talked last week, or two weeks ago, about the importance of real estate in a retail brands strategy what are you looking forward to talking to him about
1: i'm so excited to talk to him mainly because last week we were talking about customer frequency new customer acquisition and spend and one of the things that we think about at vitrini group with our clients is how does your brand translate into your store so if the store is going to be the avenue for the narrative or the story to be told what are the working pieces that need to happen? And the first thing of where that starts is with your lease and the agreement and the physical space. And that often gets overlooked. It's one of the things where it's like a check mark, let's get it done, um, and isn't always thought through in a way that will really help operate the store and build those KPIs for you.
0: Yeah, and, and Patrick is a, is a great and thoughtful guy, so should we get into it with him?
1: Absolutely, let's go.
0: Great. Krista Raymer, Patrick Gordon, thanks for being here. Thanks
1: for having Having us.
0: Uh, This is exciting. Uh, We have been having an ongoing conversation with our friends from Vitrina Group about cannabis retail, especially during this ramp up, especially in Ontario, um, as we, I don't know, welcome dozens, scores, um, hundreds maybe, of new stores into the realm. There's lots of things happening and they should be considering. Um, Krista, you last week, Shared, I thought the most insightful thing I think I've ever heard anybody say about retail and how you view success. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and then we'll get to why Patrick's here.
1: Yeah. So last week we really identified three things that we can think about when measuring our success in retail stores and that's frequency of customer visits, your new customer acquisition. So how often are new players coming to your space and then also spend. And when we're thinking about the physical space, which is what I want to talk about today, we really want to think about like story and the brand messaging that comes from that physical space. And so those three kind of key indicators become uh, an assessment of how well that story is really being communicated.
0: Yeah, and to communicate that story, you need a location. And in order to get a location, you need generally a lease. In order to get a lease and do it right, you need a lawyer like Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's funny how cannabis retail always lends itself to lawyers, but, but Patrick, you are uh, an attorney at Blake's. You work in regular retail on the legal side, um, and we're going to talk to you about cannabis retail and how it intersects with what Krista was talking about, because this is an essential thing uh, for big retailers, small retailers, mom-and-pop retailers, and uh, we can't wait to pepper you with questions. Sounds great. <laughs> um, so, so Krista, I want you to ask the first question because um, as we think about this, we have we have way more leases signed than we have stores opened. That's for sure. Um, they are in locations, you know, any anywhere except for the cities that have sort of opted out. But they are in many, many places. They don't even know where each other are necessarily, where where leaseholders have. They could be right next to each other. Christy, I want you to talk to Patrick, but but talk, ask the first question. I want I have a, I have like a whole list of them to get through to
1: Patrick. Yeah, Patrick, I'm going to put you on the spot. And one of the things that we think about a lot is what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And so it's like, is brand coming first, or is physical space coming first? And then how do we send those messages kind of mutually back and forth? And so maybe you can talk a little bit from your experience about when you were chatting with retailers, are they bringing a brand? To the physical space, or are they finding a physical space and then building their brand?
2: I think I've seen it both ways, and I, I think that uh, you know every circumstance is different. But um, what we always tell our clients, especially if it's the first time we're working with them that, that are retailers, is the lease, lease negotiation process. Notwithstanding that it ends up sort of being one document that you sign, it has multiple stages and. The, the early stage is usually either a letter of intent or an offer-to-lease stage. And if it's a letter of intent that is sort of non-binding, a little bit more wishy-washy, That's, it is still a legal document, but you don't have to be quite as concerned. If it's an offer-to-lease, generally speaking, it's binding. If you never end up signing the formal lease, you're stuck with the offer-to-lease. It usually doesn't give you the right to just walk away because you didn't sign the formal document. And what's also relevant is that the stuff you care the most about as a retailer should be in that offer to lease so that when you get the the big lease, if you will, the landlord either ought to have built that stuff in there or your lawyer will feel very entitled to plug it in and say, we already agreed on those 10 things. So what I think is key is that you want to know what those things are like going into it. You don't want to approach a landlord and work off of their standard documents and then think, Oh shoot. Like we really need the right to, uh, you know, we have this crazy idea to change our storefront every six months and change our name or I'm just sort of using silly hypotheticals. Your lease probably won't let you do that. So if you need the right to do that, or if there's some element of your brand story that needs to, find its way right into the lease so you're not asking for permission or forgiveness. You, you know you're entitled to do it. You'd want to get that in there as early as possible. So I think that kind of suggests that you want to have an idea of what your brand looks like and what things are really critical to you earlier uh, so that when you're sort of dealing with any given landlord, you kind of can bring that to the table, uh, you know, in theory, tied with a bow for them to sign it. They never will uh, in the first instance. But uh, I'd be worried about trying to negotiate those things later because, you know, landlords don't like to be asked to do things after you've already entered into the, you know, you've negotiated a hundred things. They don't like to be told of the 101st after you've signed the document. That's a long way of answering your question, but I think that, I think the more, you know, up front, the better you're going to be able to have a successful partnership because you've, you've told them that from sort of day one.
1: I think that like your brand story becomes really important and then we have to be flexible and adaptable to, the space and the community that is around it and so those conversations with landlords can you tell me like what are some of those key pieces that they are looking up for i'm sure they're in the business of space so there are going to be business pieces there but is there big wins that you see the cannabis industry bringing to landlords that maybe other retail environments haven't
2: i mean i think that in the especially the run-up uh before the government introduced the um the now sort of defunct like lottery process where people were sort of signing lots of leases sort of like kind of like it is today but the, the first go around the, the one interesting thing is the client that i did a lot of work with was looking at deals with like many you know institutional like major landlords and so one kind of um side effect you could say of, of getting to look at all those leases is that we got the benefit at, at blake's of seeing how all the different landlords were trying to think through the issues they were going to have to deal with. And they were all, I shouldn't say all, but you know, many of the major landlords were trying to, you know, start the ball rolling on this process. They had reason to want to do business with our client and uh, they all brought a different perspective to the table. Like landlords, you know, the simpler the form of lease, the probably the more beneficial it is for a tenant. Most of the bells and whistles in a lease are landlord protections, not tenant rights. Um, So they would usually tend to be like, adding things into their standard document but it was it was interesting to see how they all approached it differently there was definitely overlap but there was definitely different different areas so i think that and the the things that they would flag are the kind of things that as a cannabis retailer you need to have on your radar like just to give a simple example and and you already mentioned it with the sort of co-tenants like you know third-party stakeholders in your store like the the I don't know, senior citizen mobility device store next door to you. you might not be super pumped that that's who's coming in, but you're gonna have to manage that. And your legal document is a part of that as well. Like landlords would ask for things like the ability to have landlord security guards at the store from like day one. And we tended to push back on that. and. The sort of cheap answer I always gave to landlords councils was like, would you ask the LCBO to to agree to that? And no. So I know this is different, but like you have to give them a chance to show that they're, you know, reputable retailers. So yeah, some of the dynamics uh, were definitely distinct. um, And and it's things like, yeah, dealing with your third parties, how the landlord is, you know, things they're worried about, about how the space is going to be used. Things like loitering that they're worried about like they don't at, at least many of them might not know they may never have had a cannabis retailer and it might just be sort of like well we want to make sure we're protected if the things we're worried about come to pass and as a retailer i think you want to show them hey we've thought of those things too here's how we address them in our existing stores or here's how we plan to address them and let's try to find a way to meet in the middle uh to sort of if you've got a real issue once we open you can let us know and we'll try to fix it if you're not satisfied with how we try to fix it here's what you can do but not just immediate sort of draconian rights that are going to make our business not seem like an appealing place to to, to come into so that, those are some of the examples i think of how they've how they've they've worked but a- another interesting thing that cannabis retailers say and they're right is that they can be huge drivers of traffic to to centers like maybe more pre-covid i think in terms of in-person shopping but you know it's an exciting new industry particularly when there was going to be a really limited number of stores, it was a funny dynamic of like, we're not sure about you as a tenant, but they're like, but oh, we also think you're going to be our best tenant. So it's kind of a, a difficult dance. You know what I mean? And so I, I think with, with, you know, great locations as, as you've been speaking about and are going to and how important they are, like, you know, for, for landlords, it can be, you know, cornerstone tenants. Uh, so it is, it is a give and take the negotiations because it's uh, it's a sort of unique circumstance that way.
0: Um, may, may I, Krista? Because because I, I everything you said makes makes great sense, both from a, a retailer perspective signing a lease, and from uh, a, a, you know a landowner sort of making that lease available. Um, and I think every day that goes by, landlords understand that the sky's not falling. They are good tenants, um, and 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 not only the good tenants. Almost everything they could probably think about is well covered within the regulations, right? And they're heavily regulated. I guess my question is that we've been in this period of um, you know, COVID, and, and the retailers have had to change dramatically how they actually do business, whether that's curbside, whether that's delivery, which doesn't affect the landlord necessarily. Um, but but how are landlords and tenants and uh, retailers actually thinking about that? And has it come up in your experience? And and the sort of secondary part is, um, you know, we're going to open up to, well, I'll ask the secondary question afterwards, but go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So,
2: I think like if, if our interview was a, um, like a, a drinking game or a, a whatever the equivalent is for cannabis, like the number of times I say the word flexibility would kind of be the, the trigger to take a drink or whatever. And uh, yeah, so I think that, that uh, what I was telling retailers and what the client did, I had a ton of work for I knew because they'd done it in other jurisdictions is that contractual flexibility is, is not the, uh, sorry, A, it's not the norm in a commercial leasing circumstance but it is so valuable in this space. It's new, the regulations are changing, the government has you know, made significant changes in you know, almost no time frame, a number of times already. So it's hard to know what's gonna happen. So I think that what I like, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say, it's harder to pull off for some tenants, but whatever flexibility you can get into your lease is worth its weight in gold if you can get a termination right, you're going to pay a fortune for it. But if you have to exercise it worth every penny is is my opinion, because if you don't have one and you need to try to get out, you're, you're asking and you're not, you're not exercising rights. And that's a challenging circumstance for any retailer. So, and I think it's relevant too, for for COVID both, both, uh, if you happen to have a termination right, that was expensive, but had a bit of a longer sunset clause and you actually had a year or two to decide, you know what, I don't think this store is going to work. Here's, you can keep my, you know, crazy hundred thousand dollar deposit, and I and we can just walk away. You might want to pull the trigger on that if you've got other locations, you know, going on, um, things like that. But the other flexible piece, and when I was speaking with a client uh, uh, earlier and just understanding what the this sort of landscape is looking for, looking like for them, one really interesting thing she noted was things like delivery, things like curbside pickup. You fulfill those orders differently as a retailer than you do. Uh, your storefront so you might want the flexibility to to work change what you've got in terms of like you know maybe the store is smaller and the back is bigger you probably can't do that in your in your sort of standard form lease like some retailers leases say you know you, the maximum office space you can have is 10 percent or something because the landlord wants a nice big store that invites people to come in but like again you know if you're thinking about doing a deal now you have to think about different types of flexibility beyond just like an on off switch for your lease. And I think that if someone was able to go to their landlord and say, hey, we have the right to reconfigure our store, and we're finding that delivery has been really helpful, we need to do better at that in order to keep having this successful relationship, uh, we're gonna go ahead and do that. And you're not having to ask but you're able to, to tell, like you'd love to have that right. Now, again, easier said than done, but I think that flexibility is, is different than it was at the outset, but it's just as important.
1: I think even before COVID, we were starting to see the requirement of some of that flexibility come up. Like, Or in traditional retail as well, is thinking about different terms, lengths of leases, when your right to renew comes up, what are those options looking like? And even to your point further about the actual layout of the store and if there are requirements within the lease regarding that, like we and so many of these businesses are going to be required to facilitate e-commerce what does that look like in the physical store and how much space do you need to make that happen? Most stores, if you look kind of back over the last 10 years, most of those stores are not designed to facilitate e-commerce out of any of those stores. So as a cannabis retailer, I look at it and say, you need to be able to be flexible and look and seek those landlords that are going to allow that kind of flexibility within your lease terms so that you have the options for where this is going to go. Because really? it's
2: not. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Say it again.
1: It's not going to stay the same. So, no. No.
2: And I also, I also think that in the it's kind of like the work from home thing. When everyone's working from home, it works okay. When the store has to be closed, you can fulfill online orders from your regular footprint because you're not using it the way that it was originally designed. You've got more flexibility within your existing footprint. If two of us are in the office and the third person is dialing into this call, it will be there'll be more friction than just all doing it remotely. And when you reopen that store for your retail business, if you need to be supplementing it with more different types of business, then you're going to realize the limitations, I think, more... maybe you are in this world where like you can kind of just adapt the whole thing so i think that yeah like they're all learning a lot of lessons now the ones that are already open and you just need the right to uh to be able to do that and not to need to sort of i mean you might need your landlord's permission for you know work you're going to do in order to reconfigure your store and you know where they're going to put the wall and things like that but not just this idea that you can't change anything without their permission and they don't have to be reasonable or something like that so to go back to the first thing i said put that in the offer to lease, put that like all the way up front in negotiations and look for a landlord that's willing to sort of understand why that's necessary. And I think that, uh, you know, location is probably more important than that. But on the other hand, that's so critical because we just don't know what the future is going to have in store, but we know that flexibility is going to be necessary. It's fascinating.
0: I think this is fascinating. Like the whole not that everything has changed, but but even if we we're having this conversation non-COVID, like the flexibility part is super important because regulations change, right? And and, and what is, de- you know, it's going to change whether there's someone next door or not next door, whether someone, you know, all those things are changing so rapidly. Overlay upon this sort of the idea that social distancing is now going to be a thing, certainly for the foreseeable future, whether we're in it and out of it and all those things. And but I think what you said, Patrick, that the idea that there's going to be You know, not everybody at home all the time, nor everybody walking around all the time, but this sort of blended model with these new operations is, is actually something really interesting to consider, Krista.
1: Yeah, for a long time, we've talked like location, location, location. If you're opening up a retail store, focus on where the location is. And I would be inclined to say, focus on where the location is, but also what you can facilitate out of the store. Like, what is possible there? Because that looks very different you might be attracted to a downtown location, but if it doesn't have multiple entrances, doesn't allow an easy shipment, and you're going to be receiving shipment weekly, how cumbersome is that? How big is the shipment? And those are some of the things when we're thinking about like all the way through, when you look at a space, you need to think about the operations of the store. You need to think about who the customer is going to be coming to the store, what staff are gonna facilitate the store and all the moving pieces. So it's not just so easy as to say, this is a great location. We're in an ideal area That, that isn't enough anymore
2: you no, and even things like curbside pickup, like I'm sure in all of our lives for, for you know, all sorts of different services, we access them differently. And it's amazing. Some become more convenient, or not more convenient, but not less convenient, and others obviously are. And it's for reasons that you wouldn't have occurred to you in the sort of uh, normal times, if you will, like as a consumer. So as you know, as a retailer, uh, you know, you need to be getting the advice that, that you're providing, which is like, you know, at the very least, here's a list of things we need to think about. And it's a longer list than it was a year ago. Uh, And and some of these things like, you know, parking is more important than it was, because it's not it's going to be a different modes of of sort of the parking was always important. But it's, it's different now, I think, like, I don't know, to use a silly example, my wife and I like going to the cheese boutique, which is in Etobicoke, sort of close to where we live. They're on kind of in an industrial little area. They have cars lined up doing their deliveries on the weekend, like you couldn't do that if they had a downtown shop front and so for them it probably helps keep uh orders up right but they maybe wouldn't have occurred to them like that's not why it's there i assume right but uh helpful to have today kind of a thing and and they're fortunate people will go to them but yeah a long list of things to consider and and one thing i should mention is and it's a shameless plug for my industry but i'm saying that things need to be negotiated up front The, the truth is that as lawyers and when when to engage a lawyer like it's not as simple as saying the earlier the better because obviously i'm aware that some of these retailers it's you know everything has a cost to it and like turning on the clock once is expensive and i'm very aware of that but you know to figure out what you care about and to get that into the lease like i can't tell you the number of times especially for the smaller retailers you get handed the offer to lease and the lease and they say go and and you can do your best. You sort of have one hand tied behind your back and like all you're trying to do is get them to what they agreed to. And usually you have to say, you know, just to sort of level set, if there's a bunch of other stuff you wanted that isn't in here, we're gonna have, it's gonna be an uphill struggle. Is there one thing you really care about that isn't in here? Whereas, you know, I've found in some instances, the more we can get involved early or you know clients that are sophisticated retailers that have tons of operations they can kind of manage that process on their own and they wouldn't enter into something that didn't have things they care about but if it's a more one off thing you know having someone to help you negotiate that stuff up front then we can be more practical when we're looking at the actual lease and saying like yeah there's lots of stuff in here we don't love but we can live with it because we got those 10 things we really cared about uh whereas when you just sort of handed the lease as a lawyer like it's just a bit tricky to say like this is going to be still be expensive, but by the way, I'm not going to get any of these huge wins for you because you kind of already agreed to not have them. So, uh, you know, consider when you're engaging, uh, you know, consultants or lawyers or whatever. Like, the earlier the better is not the worst advice, even though it's not quite that simple either.
1: It's expensive up front, like, but the long-term cost and where that plays out. If you need to get out of the lease if you need to decrease the physical space of the store. All of those things can be explored ahead of time, which is an upfront cost, but the long-term value (laughs) far exceeds that. And so you really have to be critical of where those expenses when you're opening a new store, like I cannot stress enough the level of planning that it should be required in these stores. And often with retailers, from our experience with working with clients, is that there's a lot of pressure to find the right space and to sign the lease and be able to start moving on to the next thing because there's so many things to do for the regulations. And that level of pressure really makes people make questionable decisions because they just need to get to the next step. And the next step can be much easier if you spend time on the first step. Like, I slow down, take an extra 12 hours to think something through because you, how that plays out later becomes so impactful.
2: Yeah, and there's other lease provisions that you know are not specific to Canada. Well, they they, they have their own impact. Uh, thinking of things like transfer restrictions, like those can be negotiated. Whether you have the right to assign the lease and stuff like that. In the in the lottery era, it became important to think about like, do you want the right to sell your whole business to, to you know one of the larger retailers, and not have a landlord consent be like a, a hurdle that that transaction has to get over. But you know, maybe that you don't see that coming, and so it's worth trading something else. Like there's all sorts of things that need to be thought up front. And to your point, if we do the work up front, and then everything goes smoothly, and it seems like maybe we did a little bit too much work up front, that's the best case scenario, I think. Like because everything else is is sort of uh, uh, you know regret in the in the when things need to be sort of sorted out after the fact, and then it's just it's very different. And landlords, I think. I mean i can't speak to have my finger directly on the pulse in this moment but your leverage to some extent goes down the second you sign the document certainly as to anything that's outside of its of its four corners so uh you know you need to make sure that you're okay with where you're at when you when you sign it because things aren't going to get better from there i don't think even if your store is doing great that doesn't mean the landlord cares when it comes to you know doing you a favor that they might sort of look at it and when we think about landlords in the COVID era, like, uh, there's lots of, you know, not nice things written about them in the press, because it's been a very challenging time, but they've got a million things to balance as well now. And they have to manage this, you know, rent application process, rent deferral application process. And they might have a bank that has to, you know, pay their mortgage. And, you know, there's so many things going on that, again, flexibility, whatever you can get in there up front to allow you to do what you need to do and not have them as a sort of, friction point from a legal perspective, I, I think is a benefit because you're going to have enough things to work through you're on a business front, I think, in terms of having a good working relationship that sort of doesn't rise to the level of needing uh, a lawyer's input, which is good.
0: <laughs> yeah. This has been super enlightening. And I, I hope every retailer who is about to sign a lease watches this because <laughs> I think they will learn a lot. And look, maybe everybody's thought all these things through and and I'm we're just naive to it. but I, But I do think that really thinking through what the what the current state is, what the future state is, wrapping that into sort of how you think about location to Krista's point, but also how you actually execute a lease is super important, especially for a cannabis retailer, different than a regular retailer, especially during the time where, where COVID is going to actually be impacting how people operate for six 12, 18, 24 months. Like, I think these things are really important. And I'm glad, thank you, Patrick, for being here and making time to talk about this and Krista, as always, because I do think, um, I think it's really important to help educate folks who are actually going through this process.
2: And, and I think that any, you know, good lawyer is able to give practical advice. Like, we're not gonna, at least in my own practice, I'm not gonna tell a, a retailer, don't sign this if you don't have every single thing that you want. But you also wanna have the ability to, to say, as a retailer like hey what do you think about uh, they're really forcing me to sign it. I don't think we're going to get any further what am I looking at here so that you can have someone say to you all right I've been doing this for x number of years I have seen that clause used it's not impossible but it's probably not the most likely but you know go into it with your eyes wide open you're not going to it's not going to be a wish list where every wish is going to be fulfilled but yeah, try to get the things you figure out the things you care the most about if you can figure that out before you call a lawyer good for you because it'll maybe save you some money at like, at, at least and uh, And having someone to sort of be able to tell you at a practical level like yeah I think I might sign that because we've gotten the things we care the most about and look there's gonna be some things that are gonna be the landlord's thing uh, at landlords point and you know in terms of other things we advise clients on uh, outside of the four corners of that lease, you just want to think about the other stakeholders who are going to be there, your other tenants, the lenders potentially. Like I, I haven't, can't remember seeing it, but you might want to give thought to whether there's any, um, you know, lenders that might have like a prohibition on. Uh, cannabis stores in a in a center. I, I can't remember seeing that, but it, you wouldn't want to assume that's that's fine. Maybe it's just getting comfort in your lease document that the landlord says, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I've I've run that uh, to ground. Uh, you know, thinking about if it's a condo that the store is located in, you want to make sure that you've looked at the condo documents. Again, it's an extra task for a lawyer to do that you're going to have to pay them for. But you'd really want to make sure that you know the insurance clause of the condominium corporation doesn't prohibit this. Uh, and again. I haven't seen anything directly on that, but you'd like to give them comfort that you're not going to have an immediate problem from day one that, you know, you could have avoided or you could have kind of worked up front. And and the one other thing I wanted to say is uh, termination rights and things like that are super important. Um, When we first started doing it, there was a lot of like regulatory based termination rights that said, if I don't, I promise to try to get a license. If I can't get a license, I can terminate there's some ambiguity in the language. I've had clients have trouble terminating leases where we thought it was very clear. uh, And, you know, the landlords didn't agree. And I went in speaking to my client this morning in multiple jurisdictions, even in cases where the landlord gets to keep some huge security deposit, they're still not pumped that you're leaving because there's not anybody knocking on their door looking to take the space over. So even with a perfectly drafted termination clause, that doesn't mean it's gonna be a simple matter to exercise it, but like you really wanna make sure that you understand what you can and can't do. And in a perfect world, personally, I think in a perfect world, you, you'd get them to a number that they, the landlord, are comfortable with, but, but have a unilateral right to exercise it, no questions asked. You know, you take the pain of the money you're not getting back, but there's no hurdles to prove that you were like entitled to terminate it, no risk of. You know, litigation about whether or not you've got this 10-year, five-year, three-year commitment going down the road. But I've seen it be tricky to get out of things that look like they were pretty straightforward. And and I'm just thinking of an example of when the government did a complete U-turn and put in place the lottery system, I will try to get a license looks a lot different that day than it did the day before, where it was a thought to be just like kind of an open process. So um, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, very complicated and you need to sort of give thought to all these, all these things. And uh, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, flexibility is key because like I've seen some crazy stuff, unfortunately, because you know, the the nature of a commercial lease is it's a fixed long-term commitment and the nature so far of the retail cannabis industry in, in Ontario anyways. And I think in Canada is that it's been disruptive and it's been regulatorily, flexible and things have changed and people are having to be dynamic and those two things don't necessarily perfectly fit together so uh you know having good advisors is you're just trying to make the you know fit a square peg in a a square hole to a certain extent because you have to be ready to be charging in one direction as fast as you can and then start charging back the direction you just came from if, if that's what the regulations tell you to do
0: yeah yeah well if you had flexibility in the business of cannabis drinking game you win today or lose, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit early to be winning, I suppose, so yeah, lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Krista and Patrick, thanks for being here. Uh, Patrick, I look forward to connecting again because I, I think in six months or 12 months, we're going to be in a, an entirely different kind of environment um, where flexibility will still be important, but we will have set people on a really good path.
2: Thanks for thanks for having me. I you know it's it's interesting to cast my mind back to some of those things that happened a year or two ago, and in speaking to my client earlier about how things have gone, it's you know it's a crazy world out there, and it's it's interesting to hear people are having to be really dynamic and try to get their businesses up and running. And obviously, it's an industry with tons of demand in in the province and elsewhere. So I think it's uh you know it's a good cause, and we're happy to try to help people you know achieve that goal. It's a, it's very satisfying when our clients have successful launches, and we're happy to do our little part.
0: Great. Krista, thank you again for joining us from Vitrina Group, and we will connect with everybody down the road.
2: Thanks very much.